Good morning, brothers and sisters. This morning we continue our study through the book of Genesis and begin a new section in the book. The book spans 50 chapters, and Moses has helpfully organized the material in 10 sections. The first five were pre-Abraham, about the prehistoric history of humanity, how God created the world and created man to live in, in relationship with Him, how man was created in the image of God, but man rebelled against God, and through that rebellion spiraled out of control. Well, when we began the life of Abraham, it really opened a new section, and we've seen much of his life, and, and now the baton has been passed off to his son Isaac. And so this morning we see in chapter 25 and verse 19 that beginning heading, the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Over the next 10 chapters, uh, Moses will begin to teach us about Isaac and more specifically than Isaac, his two sons, Jacob and Esau. And these latter five generations from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and Esau and then finally in a rather lengthy section at the end of the book, beginning in chapter 37, the life of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. Well, this morning we're going to be in chapter 25, verse 19, through the end of chapter 26. So if you've not read this yet, please press pause, read, then come back. You'll be helped by your reading of God's Word this morning. Pray that God would encourage you as we seek to understand His Word. Now again, this morning I'm not going to be able to spend much time on, on a lot of detail, but I want to point out just a number of things to you. Um, the section that we're considering this morning is really divided into three scenes. So three scenes this morning that we're going to consider. First, barrenness and birth in verses 19 through 28 of chapter 25. Then we see the next scene, deception and desperation. That's in verses 29 through 34, the story of Jacob and Esau and the trickery. And then finally, in chapter 26, we see weakness and wonder. The weakness of Isaac and the wonder of God's sovereign care of His people. Well, let's look first in verses 29 through 28, barrenness and birth. We're told that Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, whom we considered a couple weeks ago in their wonderful marriage and union together, we're told that there's a problem. There's tension in the text. We're told that Rebekah is barren, meaning she can't have children. Now, remember that the promises of God are that through these patriarchs, children would be born to them and God's promised seed would come into the world to redeem His people and to save them. Well, seems that the promise can't continue if, if the patriarchs can't have children. And so we're, we're presented again. But just in one verse, verse 21, we are told that Isaac prayed and the Lord granted his prayer. Some 20 years he anguished in prayer for his wife, Rebecca, and God miraculously brings about birth. Again, the, the point of the text that we're supposed to understand is that the Lord is behind this. The Lord is the one who is bringing about his purposes in the lives of his people. 
The promises of God will continue through Isaac and his son Jacob. And though Jacob is the younger, God sovereignly chooses to pass the promises through him. We're told here that Rebekah endured a very rough pregnancy. Look there in verse 22, we are told that, that the children were struggling within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? In other words, she's saying, what is going on in me? She felt as if they, they were at war in her womb. And it was true. As the Lord reveals to her in verse 23, that there are two nations at war within her, Edom and Israel, Jacob and Esau. The Lord reveals that two nations will rise from her, but that God will choose one nation, the nation of Israel, the nation through whom Jacob's children are born, over and against Esau, who will be, whose nickname is Edom. We're told then in verses 24 through 26 that the birth of Jacob and Esau, and even in their birth, we see the war between the children. We see that Esau, the older, comes out hairy and strong and mighty. Then the weaker one, Jacob, comes holding on to the heel of Isaac. All of this is meant to teach Israel lesson about what they're enduring. Remember, Israel right now is reading this as they make their way from Egypt, where they have been enslaved for 400 years, and are marching through the wilderness and skirting along the edge of the, of the great and mighty Edomites, descendants of Esau. And as they are harassed, and as they are uh, often in conflict with the Edomites, remember, if you Fast forward, read the story as it continues. You'll, you'll learn that the Edomites will not let the nation of Israel go through their land, a, a sort of shortcut to the promised land. This is meant to remind God's people that God has chosen the nation of Israel over and against the nation of the Edomites. This was meant to encourage them and remind them that God was sovereignly electing the nation of Israel over and against all other nations. But God's special love, His covenant love, was with the family of Jacob, who would later become Israel in His name. We're even told in the family there was division, there in verses 27 and 28, that Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Next week we'll consider how this will play out in the life of their family as they both seem to deceive one another. Well, as you and I think about this barrenness and birth and the promise that the younger will be served by the older, this is a complete reversal of the normal means in which promises were passed on. Remember, promises were to go to the, to the, to the older son. Well, we see this war really harkens all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? In chapter 4 of Genesis, and, and really throughout the entire story of Genesis, we see this, this brotherly division beginning all the way with Cain and Abel down through Joseph and his brothers. Brotherly division, dividing rather than uniting. We see this is a, an apparent effect of the fall of humanity. But in the midst of this, we have to trust that God was sovereign, that He alone was choosing 
Not because Jacob was better than Esau. No, rather, Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, reminds us that God chose Jacob before he was born, before he had done anything good or bad. There was no, nothing morally. In fact, as we'll see in the, in, in the coming story, Jacob was, was quite immoral himself, often given to trickery and deception and evil. Yet God had chosen him over and against his brother. Friends, this reminds us that our God is a sovereign God and he is sovereign over the salvation of sinners. This truth is meant to to really encourage us as God's people that, that his election of us is unconditional. It is not based on anything good or bad in us. Not based on anything that we've done. Have you ever marveled at God's electing love of you as a sinner? Look, you know yourself well. You know that you do not deserve God's love. Neither do I. But yet God still set His love upon us while we were yet sinners? As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Listen, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, this is is meant to remind us that we are not to boast in God's electing love for us, but God sovereignly chooses to save sinners. And for that, we can rest assured. Well, the story continues. In the second scene, we see this really sad story of deception and desperation. Oh, so much could be spent on on what's going on here in verses 29 through 34. I do just want to encourage you to meditate a little bit there on it. We see here that Jacob sets a trap for Esau. Esau's been out hunting, been working. Uh, He's exhausted. He comes in. Jacob lunges upon the opportunity to trap his brother and to get his birthright. We we see here in verse 31, Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. In in other words, he pushes Esau uh, to to promise to give it to him. He knows that Esau is in desperation, but he's not going to die. Sure, he may be hungry. We see the real point of the passage then comes in verse 32 and 34 of what use is the birthright to me. And then the sort of divine commentary, if you will, in verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau the bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birth. The point of the passage is meant to remind us that God's electing love was not based on anything but according to his sovereign purposes, and that God was not unjust in his election of one over and against the other. In other words, God wasn't taking anything away from Esau. Esau didn't want the birthright. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians, as I just read, that, that God chooses what is despised. In Hebrews chapter 12, and we're, we're reminded that the author of Hebrews uses this particular story to, to, to exhort Christians to flee from sexual immorality and unholiness. So if you have your Bibles, you can just turn over there quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, this story is used as an illustration of, of, of ones who indulge themselves in sin rather than the promises of God. 
chapter 12 and verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That might be confusing to some, but, but he didn't want to repent. He loved the appetite rather than the promises of God. And from this morning, as you think about what Esau gave up and all the tremendous promises that God had revealed through his father Isaac, Esau would have been no stranger to these promises that he would have heard his fathers tell the stories of his grandfather Abraham and the, the wonderful blessings that God had shown. He himself was witness to the blessings that Isaac himself were, was receiving from the Lord. Yet, he cared more about the fleeting pleasures of this world than he did for the promises of God. This morning, I wonder how you are more driven by your appetite for sin than trusting in the goodness of God's promise for you in Christ. Brother, sister, I know that in this season, you might be inclined to temptation. You might be more inclined to lust, to greed. Friend, be aware and and hear and heed this warning to flee sin, for Satan will devour you. Repent, turn, today is the day of salvation. For there is coming a day when we will be unable to repent. Well, the story continues from desperation and this deception on Jacob's part to weakness and wonder. In chapter 26, we are told uh, really about the weakness of Isaac and God's tremendous blessing on him. The promises are continuing through Isaac. And I just want to point out a number of things in the story as you, as you read through it. I, I hope you saw the, the parallelism between Isaac and his father Abraham. This is meant to confirm to us as the reader that God's blessings to Abraham have now been passed on well, to Isaac. The, the baton, if you will, has, has been been handed off to Isaac, and he'll hand it off to Jacob, and Jacob will hand it off to his sons, and, and particularly to, to his younger sons like Joseph and, and Judah. The promises of God continue. God will not fail. Though a new family line has begun, God will continue. And so God assures him of that. Now, we're told that there's a famine in the land, and, and for us, we, we don't think that those things are very serious, although some of us may be experiencing that now, a shortage of food and, and other products as we seek to go to the store and buy things, but, but a famine was a serious matter. And Isaac is instructed not to go to Egypt, not to, de- to depend upon the, the mighty nation, but to, but to stay where he's at, to, to stay in the promised land. There God would bless him. And we'll see as the chapter unfolds that, that in fact God does bless him in the promised land. That he was not to flee and rely on someone else, someone stronger, but to trust the Lord. And so God confirms here in verses 1 through 5 his unconditional promises. Notice this is a, this is a better promise given to Isaac than even the promise given to Abraham. In other words, this promise is completely unconditional. Notice what he says. He says, I will, I will bless you. I will be with you. Verse 3. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offsprings as the star of the heaven. I will give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Isaac obeyed? 
No, but because Abraham obeyed. Tremendously, God here continues His promises because of His covenantal love for Abraham, Isaac's father. Well, as the story unfolds, we are reminded that God continues His promises even through weak people. Again, we see the sins of the father repeated. Like father, like son, Isaac here repeats the sins of his father in in disguising his wife. This is a different Abimelech than the one that, that Abraham dealt with. This is perhaps his son, but yet Isaac tricks him and he gets himself into problems. The point is, is that Isaac is weak, but God will remain strong. In verses 6 through 11, again, a similar tale is told where he deceives. Abimelech finds it out, but yet he doesn't kill him. He's protected by God's hand. Then in verses 12 through 17, we see Isaac's prosperity. We are told that he would sow in the land and reap a hundredfold. Now, not many of us are farmers, but but not many farmers reap a hundredfold. In fact, probably no farmer has ever reaped a hundredfold. It means that every seed you put in the ground bears fruit. This is a tremendous blessing that God was blessing Isaac in his hand. We see then in verses 18 through 25, Isaac's property. Isaac had tremendous wealth and tremendous property. God was at work in his life and his hand. He was settling him in to the promised land. It was becoming his. That, that's what we are to understand from these wells and the war over these wells. We see that, as he says there in verse 22, as he calls it Rehoboth, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. God was, was putting down roots for Isaac in the land, the promised land that would become the people of Israel. And then in verses 26 through 33, we see sort of an unfolding of God's promises. Remember, the promise was that, that, that God would bless the nations through the people of Abraham. And we see exactly that. As Abimelech sees the prosperity of Isaac, what does he do? He goes to him and he worships the Lord because of Isaac. He had tremendous popularity because of God's blessing was upon his life. As we think about this story, I wonder how the Lord is keeping you by His sovereign and providential hand. Friend, do you see that God's promises have come to you in Christ? That the God of Isaac is the God we worship? And if God can sustain Isaac and his family through famine, through mighty kings, through war over wells and property rights, If God can bless this patriarch, friends, He will bless us in Christ. Though we are not guaranteed material blessings on earth, we are promised that God will keep us and sustain us through life's most difficult challenges. As Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, that I am sure of this, that He... The God of Isaac, who began a good work in you, brother, sister, Christian, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friend, our hope this morning is in these promises that God gave 
through the patriarchs. The promise that were, that were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The promises that we believe in by faith. Well, may we run to the cross this morning, trusting that God will complete the good work that He has begun in us at the coming of Christ Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that Your Word would be confirmed in us, that we would be comforted, assured of our salvation, because You have sovereignly, unconditionally, chosen sinners to be saints. You have called us out of darkness into light. May we turn from our sin. May we avoid being like Esau's, driven more by the appetite of sin than the pleasures of Christ. And Lord, may we remind ourselves and put our faith in Your sovereign hand that You shall see us home. We pray this for Your glory and our eternal good in Christ's name.